Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryan over there. And Jerry's here, too, somewhere. Not just in spirit, but like uh, digitally, virtually. <laughs> She's like um, Johnny Depp in... Uh, um, Johnny Mnemonic? No, that's oh, Keanu. <laughs> oh, Pirates of the Caribbean? Yes. That's <laughs> what Jerry's like. I've been singing uh, Judas Priest all day because of this. Instead of Turbo Lover, I'm singing Hydropower. Oh, that's pretty cool, man. Can you give <laughs> us a little couple of verses? I'm your Hydropower. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and I next. failed to mention I'm wearing my leathers. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just a leather vest and no shirt underneath? Yeah. And, and some, nothing else but boots? Some buttless chaps. <laughs> it's awesome. Really, are there any, is there any need to, to make any other kind of chaps? I mean, I think they usually don't have a butt, right? You're just expected to wear something underneath. Maybe that's what it is. Well, then the whole thing, just calling them buttless chaps is superfluous. Yeah, it's redundant, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so since we started talking about uh, buttless chaps, since we coined a new term, buttless chaps, I think we're the um, first people to ever use those two words together. Yeah, people um, usually say the A word. Right, exactly. Uh, we're clearly talking about uh, hydropower. Not just hydroelectric power, friends. Hydropower. There's a lot of energy in that there water, and uh, we humans have, have gotten pretty clever at figuring out how to extract it. Yeah, and this is something that we used to use a lot more of in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, up until about the mid-20th century, we were using lots of hydropower, and it peaked in about 1960. Yep. Now we're down to just about 6% of our power uh, being created through the use of water. But there's still a lot of you know hydropower plants in the U.S., about 2,400. Uh, the U.S. has a bunch, but we're also tearing them down uh, along with Europe at a rate of about like one per week, these dams, right? Yeah, yeah, and we're tearing, we're removing dams, demolishing them faster than we're building them these days, which puts hydropower, um, specifically hydroelectric power, in a really weird place in its history. But from all the research that I'm, I've, I've done, I don't think it's going anywhere. What I mm-hmm. think is going on is that it's at like this fork in the road, and it's trying to figure out what the best way to go is to 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 be sustainable and be as green as everybody likes to think it is, even though, spoiler alert, it's actually not that green. Is everyone just standing around looking at each other going, oh. <laughs> kind of. You, what do you, you want to do? You say something, yeah. <laughs> it's like trying to figure out a restaurant as a group. Oh, God, that's the worst. Do you, you know the that? best thing to do is to have a millennial friend or two in your group because they usually are really good about tackling that stuff. Oh, I thought you were going to say they're they're usually really bossy. <laughs> no, but whenever it's like a a sketch fest or something where there's just a bunch of disparate people, uh-huh. I usually try and get a millennial in the group decision-making so I can just go, I'm an old Gen Xer. I'm happy to go anywhere. So gotcha. you get on your Yelp or get out your Michelin guide mm-hmm. or whatever <laughs> your kids do these days. <laughs> yeah, they all carry that that paperback Michelin guide with them. The Penguin Classics version of it. Right. (laughs) So uh, hydropower uh, around the world, though, is pretty popular, um, some places more than others. I think Paraguay, they 
are far and away the leader if you're talking about anywhere because mm-hmm. they're up to 100%. That's incredible. Um, Norway, no surprise. They're at about 95 along with Nepal and uh, Tajikistan. Uh-huh. And I wanted to ask you this. You have in here that China, Brazil, and the U.S. lead major countries, and the U.S. is down to 6%. So the top three, I assume we're third at 6%. Uh, yeah. Which wow. just goes to show how much energy we put out. Only six percent of it is hydro, and yet we um, we are the the third in line of of um, hydroelectric production in the world. Is China one or two? Uh, one, I believe, and then Brazil. Okay. So Brazil's sixty seven percent, and then it goes down to six. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's a big drop. Yeah, but I mean, that just goes to show, like we we produce a lot, a lot of electricity, and it's just some of it is is um, from hydro, which really boggles the mind that at one point, like you were saying, a third of our power came from hydroelectric production plants. It's just crazy, you know. Yeah, I think it's down to about sixteen percent worldwide, right? Yes. That was as of four or five years ago. Yeah, and then that that actually represents a really precipitous drop. Um, I think in two th- like the mid two thousands, the aughts, it was at like twenty four percent, and it oh, dropped wow. down to sixteen percent within maybe ten years or less. Um, and the reason for that is not necessarily that people have stopped producing as much hydropower; um, they've stopped building as many new projects around the world and have started opting instead, unfortunately, for what's called thermal, which is usually um, using a fossil fuel like coal, oil, natural gas to heat mm-hmm. some water, to produce steam, to to make a turbine spin, to, um, to run a generator, basically. And um, the, it's just cheaper. It's much more understandable. Um, there's a lot of drawbacks to it, but it just requires far less of an investment up front than building a, a traditional hydroelectric plant. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get, you know, detail all those pros and cons later. But, you know, if you wonder why people look to water to begin with, you need only look at water. Uh, you know, stand beside any river, especially one that's got some rapids. Mm-hmm. When you see those rapids funneling through a, a small channel, it gets pretty intense, you know. Uh, some serious force going through there. And at some point, someone said, maybe we can harness that. Uh, We're not exactly sure who the first people were, but um, of course, some people think the Chinese, the Han Dynasty, they're always a good bet for for leading the way. Uh, Maybe the Persians, or maybe uh, they actually do have writings from the third century BCE from Philo of Byzantium. Mm -hmm. He made a great dough. By the way, he did. He was also the guy who first um, named the seven wonders of the ancient world. Was his dough one of them? <laughs> right. He's like, you, you got to try it. It's the flakiest. <laughs> it's so good and flaky. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's, a, a, I think, a description of a water wheel from, from old Philo. Yeah, from 2,300 or so years ago. So yeah, we figured out that like you can, you can put water to work. Um, we've known for a long time. It was using water as um, basically a way to produce mechanical energy, not electricity. Just put a pin in that because we're going to get to it in like 35 seconds. (laughs) But first, we used water to um, push water wheels, like those charming things you see in like a Thomas Kincaid painting. It's one of my favorite things. They're really wonderful. I love them. They're about yeah. as quaint as, as anything ever has been in the history of the world. There's just something so tranquil about it. But I've if you, always loved them. Every, yeah. When I was a kid, I remember going to 
Stone Mountain Park and they had the old grist mill there. And I, I think I even kind of understood the purpose and just how I think it's simplicity always really just hit me right where in the in the feels. It is it's one of those things, Chuck, that it was it is a very simple idea, but it was like it a home run right out of the gate. Like basically what we do to produce hydroelectricity is almost an unchanged version of, you know, the water wheel. Yeah, I mean it's got fancier over the yeah. years. Yeah. But it's and you know, we've talked about this with any type of power uh, show that we've done, whether it was nuclear power, I feel like we've done a lot of these. Mm-hmm. It all comes down to producing that mechanical energy to spin something, to spin a turbine. Yeah, so um, you spin this water wheel or turbine, as we'll see, um, and there's a that spins on an axis. Well, if you insert an axle into that axis, it'll spin the axle, and you can attach all sorts of cool stuff to that axle to make them spin too. Like you can you can insert more wheels and have them press down on stone as they rotate, so you can yeah. grind things or per, turn turn. Yeah, you can mill flour. You can uh, grind paper into or wood into pulp and make paper. You can. Uh, change the rotation, the direction of the rotation to like up and down. So now all of a sudden you have pistons that can pump bellows or pump water or do all sorts of cool stuff. So that was a huge, huge advancement in the history of the world. And that's how things stayed for a couple thousand years, basically, until the uh, the 19th century. When we started to develop electricity, somebody said very quickly, oh, you know what? Actually, we could apply that age-old water wheel idea to this um, electrical generation, and that's exactly what they did. And actually, the first guy, the first hydroelectric power provided power to a lamp at a house called called, uh, Craigside. (laughs) I like lamp. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. (laughs) You love lamp. I love lamp. Uh, It's in a town called Rothbury in uh, Northumberland. And if I mispronounce Northumberland, I am not to blame on that. You cannot spell a word Northumberland and expect anyone to pronounce it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to de- decipher how it's really probably pronounced. <laughs> <laughs> like probably Christershire or something. Yeah, or like Northumberland <laughs> or something like that. I just inserted a B. So however you pronounce it. A guy named William Armstrong, he was like this amazing inventor who powered basically his whole house using water power. But one of the things he did was generate electricity, too. That's right. And then Grand, Rapid, uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan said, you know what? I'm going to one-up you there because we have a hydro generator at the Wolverine Chair Company factory. <laughs> and awesome? we have 16 streetlights that we want to power. Yep. And I imagine all the criminals in town were like, oh, it's so much harder to commit crime with light at night now. <laughs> I know. Especially I bet it did drop crime a little bit. I would guess so. I mean, I'm sure they lights? had like I'm sure yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure they had like the gas lights already, but the electric is, Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, I love those gas lights. I think Chuck, so we you know, we talked a lot about hydroelectric power in our Hoover Dam two parter, if I remember correctly. Yes. But I think we also might have talked about it in our electric chair episode. But I feel like we may have misspoken and said that um, either Buffalo, New York, or Niagara Falls, New York, was the first city to use hydroelectric power to power it, its streetlights. And that's just not true. It's actually Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yeah, they were a few years later. Uh, I love how, you know, 
I picture like the this the sketch version of this is two engineers with the Niagara Falls behind them reading mm-hmm. a newspaper going, "Hey, it says here in Grand Rapids they're using uh, water to make light." If, if only we had such a means to do so. <laughs> and Niagara Falls behind him is just like, Shh, look at me. <laughs> yeah. So um, that was just an excellent 19th century sketch that you just made, by the way. That's when sketch was at its best. So uh, I don't know. I would say the 70s. 70s sketches would be, they're, they're pretty tough to, to contend with. But by the way, I watched that uh, John Belushi documentary last night. Oh, yeah? Very good, and it's amazing when you look at the, uh, speaking of 70s sketch, to look at these archival photos of the, like, house parties and apartment hangs. Oh, my God. Where it's, like, Belushi and Bill Murray and Harold Ramis and Mm -hmm. Lorraine Newman and, uh, I mean, just, like, all the comedy heroes just sitting around, like, drinking and smoking weed. Mm -hmm. Not that I endorse that thing, but... (laughs) <laughs> I'd like does, to be at that party. Yeah, man. I mean, like, I, I love seeing pictures like that for that Can you imagine how reason. funny that party was? And probably pretty great. Ugh. Pretty great. Either that or else I'd just be like, I, I'd just be too nervous and socially anxious to talk to anybody and wouldn't have a good time at all. Well, the first, um, since we're on the sidetrack, the first kind of really famous hang I had like that mm-hmm. was, uh, I think, one of my first Max Fun Cons when I was sitting in a room with, basically the original Upright Citizens Brigade songs, nice. Amy Poehler mm-hmm. and Andy Richter and Andy Daly and all these comedy heroes. And I just, I was so afraid to even speak, <laughs> but I was saying jokes in my head. And then <laughs> two times I said a joke in my head and Andy Richter said one of them and another, I think it was uh, Matt Walsh said another that was basically my joke. And I was like, I'm going to start talking. Nice. <laughs> And I did. And you did? Did you get applause? No, but they didn't all turn around and look at me and go, who's this guy? (laughs) (laughs) Like I thought they would. It's like, oh, we're all all just people. Did they make you an honorary member of the Upright Citizens Brigade? No. Did you get a t-shirt? I did get a t-shirt. Okay, good. (laughs) I stole a (laughs) t-shirt. That's good. Should we take a break? I think we should take a break. All right, right. we need to get back on track. And we're going to take a break and talk about the types of modern hydropower right after this. Okay, Chuck. So, um, like you said a minute ago that, like, flowing water has a lot of energy to it. I found a couple of stats that I've just got to share with everybody, okay? Let's hear it. Water flowing at four miles an hour. Just four miles an hour. It is very slow. Like, you, you yawn, basically, when you see that. It's like a walking pace. It can move a five foot diameter boulder. Okay. Okay. That seems big. Seven miles per hour has the same force as an EF5 tornado. And water water flowing at 25 miles per hour has a pressure equivalent of wind that's blowing at 790 miles per hour, faster than the speed of sound. 
So there is a tremendous amount of kinetic energy in flowing water. Um, and we have figured out over time, like, how to maximize that. Um, like you said, the, the water wheel design is basically like what we're, what we're working with still today, but we've refined it so much that now we're producing these amazing turbines that spin super fast and they're designed to like to, to direct water in just the right way or water's supposed to go around them just the right way or drop on them or shoot from the side and slosh around like it's on a, a, a slip and slide or something. And, um, We've come up with a lot of turbine designs, basically, I guess is what I'm trying to say, that that have really improved on the water wheel. Yeah, those bulb types are pretty cool. Uh, that's Those are watertight, and it's basically an aerodynamic chamber that's going to, you know, I talked earlier about when that water channel narrows, how much more forceful it gets. And that's what mm-hmm. they do in this case. Mm-hmm. They focus and narrow the water column and then put it uh, to the turbine, obviously, at a, at a much higher rate. Right. Um, and I think that is an example of an axial flow where the flow of the water is parallel to the spin of the turbine. Or no, maybe that'd be radial. I can't remember. But basically, there's axial, radial, and mixed. And most things are mixed. And a really good example of a mixed turbine is the most widely used one called the Francis turbine, which was invented by a guy named James Francis back in the 19th century. And it's... Um, its fan blades basically are adjusted so that the water spills down from above onto it. But as it hits it, the fan blades direct it downward into the side. So the water ends up actually sloshing around parallel to the spin of the turbine and spinning it real good. <laughs> Spins it real good. Good old Francis. Uh, if you're talking about hydroelectricity these days, um, you're going to spin that turbine, the axle's going to spin the turbine, and it's attached to a set of super powerful magnets that are turning inside a copper coil. And that movement of the magnets is going to knock those electrons loose and get those electrons flowing. And then all of a sudden those electrons flowing through the copper is a current, it's electrical current. Right. And then they pressurize that into a really densely packed uh, AC current that's really slow moving. And we talked about, you know, the invention of AC current, how that means you can just take it really, really far away and still mm-hmm. use it without losing a lot of energy, which is great because you can dump it into the electrical grid and say, you were once water, now you are electricity. Yeah, which is which is pretty cool. Like a lot of our power actually started out as flowing water. I love that idea. Me too. Um, but it goes to show, like, we really haven't changed that water wheel design very much. Instead of a grinding wheel or a bellows, we now just have some magnets that are attached to the turbine, and they spin around inside of that that coil. And that's that's that. I mean, like, it's—I know we talked about it in our episode on electricity, um, but I'm still to this day amazed that that's—it's just so primitive, but it, yeah. it works. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it, basically, is the big motto of the electrical production industry. And donkeys the world over said thank you, because now I don't have to be right hooked to a thing and walk in a circle all day long. Unless they're making mezcal, as we talked about in our book, mm, you got to right. use the traditional donkey. That's right. I hope they're well taken care of. I, I am sure they are. If you, yeah, if you have a donkey that makes mezcal for you, I'll bet you treat it really nice. <laughs> uh, so there are four main categories of hydroelectric power plants these days. Uh, the first one, the impoundment, is the one you kind of think of when you think of like the Hoover Dam. Um, This water is 
impounded. They stop that flow. It's impounded in a big reservoir. They release it through these gates, uh, through these tunnels called pinstocks that uh, we talked a lot about in the Hoover Dam episode. Mm -hmm. And it's going to just, you know, they're using gravity basically to make water fall and gain all this, uh, turn all that potential energy into um, whatever the other kind of energy is that kinetic, moves. Kinetic, kinetic energy. energy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so impoundment schemes make use of what's called the hydraulic head, which is basically the height of the drop from, say, the gates where the water enters the penstock to the point where that water hits the turbine. And the higher the head, the, the higher the drop, the more energy you can get out of the water, the faster it makes the turbines spin. So that's why, that's why dams are just so damn high and tall mm -hmm. because they have a really high hydraulic head and uh, you can just get a lot more electricity, a lot more kinetic energy out of that falling water. That's right. um, but as we'll see, that's actually kind of a problem, the fact that the high head um, hydropower is basically the state of the art. We need to advance past that. Just a little, yeah. a little taste, a little foreshadowing right there. That's right. Uh, then you've got, I think, my favorite one, which is diversion mm -hmm. or the run of river uh, hydropower, which is um, this is using water that's already flowing. You got a river that's flowing, and someone came along and said, hey, this river's got some good action. Why don't we just divert some of this and channel it off to the side yep. and create some electricity that way and then just let that water dump back in and do its thing on downstream? Yeah, and so um, some of them do just divert some of the river to uh, produce electrical power. Some like just stick a whole plant in the river. But yeah. the the key here is is that they're not like you said they're not like trying to keep the water blocked up behind a dam. But there's still probably a drop because again, this hydraulic head is basically the key to hydroelectric power generation right now. I think the conduit, uh, which is a subtype mm -hmm. of the diversion, uh, conduit or canal is pretty neat too. Yeah, me too. Because basically they use these water pipes that may be part of a big irrigation system or some other kind of water project. And they're like, we might as well stick a turbine in that thing. Yeah. Because we're diverting that water through a pipe anyway. Right. So might as well just capture some of the energy as it's passing by. I think that's a spectacular idea. Um, so those, that's like you got impoundment, diversion, and then another type is called pump storage. And pump storage is very much like impoundment. There's like an upper reservoir and penstocks, and you let the water flow through past the turbine, and you generate electricity. But unlike impoundment, where when the water exits, it just goes downstream and keeps flowing, and it's like, what the hell just happened? Um, you actually capture the water. I have to say, I've said damn and hell in this episode, and I— <laughs> I'm really pushing the envelope, if you ask me. I feel like Bart Simpson. <laughs> well, you said damn high. I took it to mean D-A-M high, literally. But yeah, you're in trouble for saying Thank that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, uh, oh, in pump storage, rather than letting the water just exit and flow down river, there's a lower reservoir, too, that captures the water and keeps it from flowing out. And then... Um, that's what you do. You let the water flow from upper to lower during peak electricity hours or peak demand so you can produce electricity. And then when it's not uh, peak demand, people don't need as much electricity. You can use some of that electricity that you've generated to pump the water from the lower reservoir back up to the upper reservoir, which is pretty awesome. It makes it basically like a rechargeable battery. It's pretty cool. We um, spend a lot of time on Lake Sinclair here in Georgia and mm -hmm. – 
the dam is very close to where we are. There's two dams, one at the north end, one at the south end. And we go to the north end one. And it's just fun to go up there and watch when it's going through. It's, uh, I guess, when they're releasing the most water because Mm -hmm. it's just crazy. Like the water in front of it is really choppy, but it's not going in any sort of pattern. It's just, you'll see a big swirling pool to your right, then another one in front of you. And like jet skis and boats are kind of like, trying to fight against the current to get close and then get pushed back. It's, it's, it's really, uh, I, I mean, about, I was about to say violent, but it's just, uh, but it's not loud. So it doesn't seem violent, but it's churning that water up. And I think fish, cause the birds go crazy when this is going on. Man. I'll, yeah. I'll bet. It sounds like utter chaos. It's, it is, but it's quiet chaos. <laughs> oh, is it quiet? To me, in my head, it sounded like really loud and whooshy and everything. No, it's not really whooshy. You just see oh, the neat. water churning and moving, and it's it's pretty cool. Why is it that if there's if there's a chance to do something dumb, somebody on a jet ski is going to try it? Yeah. Have you ever noticed? <laughs> yeah, jet ski. I don't know. Jet ski people are they're different. They're, they're a certain breed. They got a they got a little bit of daredevil in them, I guess you could they say. They do. I mean, some of those things are crazy. They go like 80 miles an hour. That's not safe. No, it's not. Um, one of the other last things about pump storage, Chuck, is that they've figured out, and I think, I feel like we've talked about this before, I mentioned it, that a really good thing to do with a pump storage hydroelectric plant is to actually use excess energy from wind and solar that, mm. say, you can't store anywhere. You uh, use that to pump the water back up to the upper reservoir. And it's basically like, again, recharging a battery using wind or solar. So you could conceivably power your whole pump storage hydroelectric plant um, using nothing but renewable resources. That's amazing. Yeah, I like that stuff. I love, like, ecology almost as much as earth science because, you know, it ties into it so much. Yeah, you're kind of cousins. For sure. Uh, Then finally, you have marine hydrokinetics, which... Uh, we talked about, do you remember the name of the episode? Can Oceans Power the World from That's 2011. Right. And that is using ocean currents and waves and tidal currents. Yep. Uh, I wondered if any of the Great Lakes could produce enough of a current to be useful, or is it only ocean? No, I think anywhere that has any kind of wave action, tidal action, or uh-huh. currents, you could totally you could totally make use of it. And apparently there's... There's tides and currents in in the Great Lakes. I I had no idea, but I remember somebody saying that recently. I just remember learning that when I saw Ferris Bueller in high school. And there's that scene by, uh, what's the Great Lake there in Chicago? Is that like Michigan? I think Superior. Superior. Oh, boy. We're getting crushed right now. I think. (laughs) Let's just name them all. It could be Erie, maybe Huron, (laughs) Ontario. One of those. It's not Ontario. Um but I just remember seeing that that scene by the lake and all those waves and stuff. And I was like, wait a minute. I thought they're in Chicago. Where the heck are they? Right. And someone said, no, that's, that's a great lake. And it has it can look like the ocean like that. That's and I went, so what? Crazy. I mean, now I remember. I recall back to my boyhood when I would play in the lake. And I guess there would be waves. But it never occurred to me that they just shouldn't be there, that they were freaks of nature. What lake did you go to? Erie. Okay. You sure about that? I'm positive. Okay. On Catawba uh, Island. You, <laughs> um, so with the marine hydrokinetics, they can, and you should go back and listen to that episode. It's really good. But mm-hmm. uh, one type is is if they build it, you know, a plant right along the shore there, and it's got that turbine at the top and seawater flows in and out, and they use that wave action and the tidal movement uh, coming and going 
to run that turbine, spin in that turbine. It all goes back to spinning that wheel. Yep. I actually saw there was a University of Florida study um, (laughs) that said Florida alone could probably produce 10 gigawatts of electricity from um, marine hydrokinetic schemes alone, and which is pretty substantial because all of the um, hydroelectric output in the entire United States right now is 13 gigawatts. So that'd be a pretty big addition, actually, if they could figure out how to do it. You know, I thought of another musician from uh, Gainesville, Florida, the other day when I was listing them. <laughs> Who? Stephen Stills. I, I can't believe I forgot Stephen Stills. Steve Stills? Little Stevie Stills is from Gainesville. (laughs) Which, uh, yeah, he's one of my favorites, too. Uh, Out of all of the Crosby, Stills, and Nash people or just in general? Mm, Well, yeah, I think out of all of, I mean, Neil Young is the king, obviously, but Stephen Stills was in Buffalo Springfield with Neil Young. And he also had this great band that did a one-off record uh, band called Manassas that was awesome. Oh, okay. Well, what about out of Emerson, Lincoln, Palmer? <laughs> I mean, if you're not a, a lake man, then I don't know what you're doing in life. <laughs> what about Bachman Turner Overdrive? You got to go with Overdrive. Okay. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Overdrive was, he was awesome. Sure. Um, you you want to take a second break yet? I think so. I think that is our new cue when I get really off track. We just stop the show and then yeah. pick up again with the topic. Yeah, new cue. All right, we'll be right back, everybody. We got to sort ourselves out. Okay, so uh, if you're not just starry-eyed over hydropower right now, you clearly haven't been paying attention to this episode. Like <laughs> We're mad at you. Hydropower is amazing. Like um, It uses water as fuel, right? And water is a renewable resource. We're never going to run out of it thanks to the hydrologic cycle, which um, replenishes the, the Earth's water all the time. Yeah. The fact that rivers flow thanks to the force of gravity um, and the rains swell their, their flow and... Um, it happens seasonally. Every season, you can kind of set your watch by it. It's pretty amazing stuff. Pretty cool. Um, and then the other fact that when we run this water, when we build like hydroelectric plants on rivers and things like that, when we use it as fuel, it doesn't exhaust the water. Like the water just loses a little bit of its kinetic energy for a second. Then, but when it flows out the other side, it regains it rather quickly. You know, it doesn't need to be replenished. Um, it's not wasted. Like you just stole a little bit of its kinetic energy and used it for something else. And the river was like, yeah, whatever, I got it right back. So it's a pretty amazing green source of energy. Um, you can understand why people have been so so kooky for it for a while. Plus, it doesn't um, expend any greenhouse gases in its production, right? Yeah. If you hate greenhouse gases, then you love hydroelectric power because mm-hmm. uh, along with solar, uh, nuclear, and wind, um, it has no emissions. And we've talked about nuclear. There are some problems there. And, you know, wind and solar is great, too. There's nothing that's perfect. Uh, There is a byproduct by producing solar panels and wind turbines and, 
you know, there's ecological impacts with any type of energy production. Um, it's all about just making efforts to minimize those as much as possible. Right. Um, the other thing about hydroelectric power is that um, there, it's just simpler. Like yeah. when we're talking about thermal, there's a, a couple extra additional steps, which is like loading the fuel, lighting the fuel, basically burning to create steam to spin the turbine. This is just water passing by that spins the turbine. So because there's fewer steps and there's fewer uh, machine or less machinery involved, um, it's a it's a simpler technology, which means that ultimately, especially if you look at the lifespan of a hydroelectric plant. Um, over time, it's much more cost-effective mm-hmm. than a thermal power plant for sure. It's just, again, it, it costs a lot more up front to build one. But when they build them, they usually build them to last usually decades longer than a thermal power plant too. Yeah, and then if you're in the, in the business of creating power, you kind of love hydroelectric power because it's instantaneous. Um, if demand goes up, you can just spin that turbine faster and allow more water to flow through. If, you know, sometimes it goes dormant and you turn it off, but if you need power, just get it going again. And it's not like it takes, it doesn't have to heat up or anything. You're like, you're right. producing power and electricity the minute that thing starts spinning. Yeah, well, actually there's um, there's measurements of the ramp up time. And for some kinds of hydroelectric power, it's less than a minute, about 30 seconds from zero to producing all the power, you're, you're, like it's peak out power output. Um, other kinds are five minutes. So I saw anywhere from 30 seconds to five minutes ramp up time. For things like coal and oil, it can take half, a day to a couple of days wow. from starting from scratch to full power. Um, so that's a huge, huge bonus if you're a, um, an energy producer, you know? Yeah. So, you know, we've kind of put a pin in the, the problems. And like I said a second ago, there is no type of power production that is perfect. Um, everything's going to have some sort of uh, impact on the environment. And in the case of hydroelectric power, there are a few ways. And it's funny, you know, it sounds so great, but then when you start kind of reading through these things, it's, you know, some of the air is let out of the balloon a little bit. Yeah. Uh, But we have to cover this stuff. Um, When you're going to build a big reservoir for a dam, there's going to be a lot of impact on the environment. Um, Everything uh, above that used to be shoreline and and dry or maybe even marshy or forest land is going to be an aquatic ecosystem pretty quickly within about a year. And there's a lot of plants and animals and insects and reptiles and fish and birds mm-hmm. that live in that area. And some of them can adapt. Some of them move along and find a new home. And sadly, some of them die out and they don't have a chance to relocate or adapt. Yeah. There, anytime they build a big dam project, you're probably going to find within uh, a year or two or a handful uh, reports of entire species that had gone extinct because of that dam project. And a lot of people have kind of woken up over the last few decades, especially as um, as the world has become much more environmentally conscious since the, the 70s, um, and said, whoa, 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 this is, this is a big deal here, actually. Um, and hydropower, I think, has kind of gotten away with trading Murder? on its— yeah. Okay. Special, special murder, interspecial murder. Um, but hydro's gotten gotten away by trading on its kind of green reputation. And finally, mm-hmm. people started calling it out and saying, like, this is not acceptable. We have to figure out a better way. And that's kind of what I was referring to. Or not just kind of, like, that is 
almost entirely what I was referring to, where hydro, um, and we'll talk about the future in a second, but uh, it's at this point where it's like, how can we do this so that, because this is an amazing green renewable energy source, but it's also having devastating environmental impacts. So we've got to figure this out so we can keep doing this, but we've got to do it without, you know, wiping out entire species every time we build a new dam. Yeah, totally. Um, The other thing that can happen uh, beyond the animals, I did mention plants, but all that above water vegetation up there is going to be flooded. And that, you know, that those plants lived in certain kinds of conditions that wasn't um, a lake bottom, basically. Mm -hmm. And it's going to decompose. It's going to release methane and CO2 into the atmosphere during those drought periods when that reservoir evaporates. And then you've got all the downstream problems, too, stuff that was... um, you know, instead of flooding these downstream ecosystems, it's kind of like the opposite of what's going on up top. Right. They're going to dry up and all those, all that nutrient-rich silt uh, that's deposited downstream as the river flows uh, is blocked by the dams and that's going to build up in the reservoir, causing problems for the dam itself and uh, nutrient depletion downstream. So, it, you know, it's kind of messing up both sides. Yeah. Um, and so even even for aquatic animals... It, it it's, it's a pretty big problem. Um, just building a, a dam is an obstacle for yeah. the fish that used to live there. Sure. So fish that, um, you know, used to swim upstream past where that dam is now located to its breeding grounds, its spawning grounds, um, they have a problem. They have a big problem getting around. And the hydro industry has looked into all sorts of different ways to help these fish get around more easily. So there's fish diversion channels. Mm-hmm. There's fish ladders, basically a system of locks that the fish are, are meant to climb. Um, you know, I think we talked about in the Hoover Dam episode that there's like fish airdrops, trucking fish, fish cannons, Those all sorts of weird stuff. <laughs> none of them, none of them hold a candle to uh, unobstructed sure. reach of a river. Like, that's what you want. So that's another challenge that's facing the hydroelectric production industry is, okay, like, basically anything we do is going to negatively impact the fish population. So that's a a big challenge for them as well. A uh, unobstructed river, though, is not nearly as fun as a fish cannon. (laughs) No. I don't know about for the fish, but for, you know, jet skiers hanging out watching them get (laughs) shot upstream. I think we I think we did research into fish cannons and they're they're okay, right? Yeah, but I I mean you it's got to scare the sure yeah the, I know t- you know it's got <laughs> to scare those fish. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure some of them do. The the fish equivalent of jet skiers yeah. probably love being <laughs> shot out of a cannon. <laughs> Come on, bro, send me through again. <laughs> uh, there are also humans that live uh, in communities that live near where these dams are built, and they mm-hmm. will get, um, what's it called, uh, when you have to force someone out of a place? Displaced? Yeah, but Evicted? Uh, the, 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 the actual... Moved uh, along? Oh, uh, no. What do you call it, though, when the government steps in and say, hey, we got to move your house because we're going to build a school? Eminent domain? Yes. Okay. Well, they will come through and say, I'm sorry, community, but we're going to build a dam here. You're going to leave. Here's some money maybe to help you out with this. Yeah. But you don't have a choice. We're going to flood... And in fact, all the the lakes in Georgia are man-made, power-producing lakes. And there were once communities in some of these places. And there yeah. are stories of cars and houses at the bottoms of some of these lakes. 
Yeah, which is just creepsville to me, man. I love looking at pictures of that kind of stuff and thinking about it. But, yeah. you know, I've told you before, being in, you know, any of the Georgia lakes, I always am like, what is beneath me right now? Right. You know, it's awesome. <laughs> it's thrilling but terrifying at the same time. Like yeah. being on a jet ski. Uh-huh. And that's without even counting the catfish that are the scariest creatures on the earth. <laughs> that's right. Or the gar. Good Lord. Uh, man, I saw a gar last summer that I I had never seen one in person before. Mm-hmm. It looks prehistoric. It really does. Yeah, they're they're very scary looking. And they'll, they'll eat absolutely anything. You, you can have a gar problem real quick. <laughs> uh, so the people that have been displaced, I think the World Commission on Dams uh, did a study, and they estimated in the year 2000 that dams had physically displaced uh, between 40 and 80 million people all around the world. Yeah, that's so many people. I mean, it, it's just like you said, like, sorry, you have to move. You don't, like, this is this is going to be underwater, you know, very soon. Um, and then when you build the dam, even once you settle, resettle the people uh, who used to live in what's now a reservoir, um, the people downstream are are under constant threat of the dam failing. Sure. So when that happens, and it happens, whole towns get flooded out, lots of people can die, millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of damage is done. So, um, and, and it's not like, it's not like that's just a remote possibility. Right. Apparently, as of 2015, the American Society for Civil Engineers identified 15,600 dams just in the United States that pose the, the highest hazard potential, the most critical for failure. Um, 15,000 dams right now are really menacing, like a, a, a guy on a jet ski circling you, that level of menacing. Yeah, and I think there's Wait, was 90... that one too many times? <laughs> no, I think, was that three or four? That was like seven. Oh, well, I was about to say three is a magic number, so maybe six is twice as good. <laughs> nice. But yeah, seven's too much. Okay. Uh, I think there are about 90,000 dams in the U.S., so that's uh, 15,000 of those 90,000s are high hazard. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you hear about government and politics, uh, you'll often hear uh, – talk of like, hey, the one thing we can agree on, we got to get together on is infrastructure. This is what they're talking about, um, roads and bridges and stuff like that. But part of it is dams. And like, you know, one of the ideas of moving forward is let's get in there. Let's, uh, I think only 2,400 of the 90,000 dams in the U.S. even produce electricity. Right. So one of the ideas is let's get in there. Let's shore these things up. Mm-hmm. Let's take as many of them as possible that aren't producing electricity since they're already there anyway and retrofit them to produce electricity, and they'll be safer and actually be doing something other than just being a dam. Yeah, which, I mean, it's like that's that's just the lowest hanging fruit you can think of right there. It's like these dams already had their environmental impact decades ago, so it, it's, it's not as bad as, you know— um, you might as well like put them to good use, and it's certainly preferable to to building another dam to generate right. power. It's like, what are you even doing? Like, don't do that. Wait until all of the dams that um, need shoring up anyway are producing electrical power. Then maybe we can look into more dam projects. Apparently, that is not how the industry goes. Um, like I said, they kind of seem to have traded on their you know green energy um, uh, image, but they're. They're an energy sector 
they're part of the energy sector and they they do things they don't like things like government regulation and they don't like things like um you know tribes or local governments having a say in their licensing and all that stuff so they lobby against that kind of thing they're you know they're corporations so um it's a real problem in the in the industry that right now they seem to be largely in favor of pressing back against environmental regulations or regulations that lessen the industry's impact rather than saying, yeah, you know, like we really need to, we really need to figure out how to do this the right way. They're just trying to squeeze as many nickels as they can out before um, they, they're forced to do it the right way. Yeah, this one in Turkey sounds like a real nasty one. Uh, they're building on the Tigris. Hmm. Uh, it's going to flood 90 miles of the river plus 150 miles of tributaries um, big time damage to the ecosystems there, and we're talking ancient archaeological sites that are going to be wiped out, people displaced, uh, and a lot of people in the international community have said, "Hey, uh, Turkey, why don't you think about some different ways to do this?" And Turkey said, "No, this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're we're going to push forward with this. We have another one on the Euphrates that is reduced water flow." Um, to Iraq, to its south, by 80%. Yeah. And it's caused the loss of 61,000 acres of arable land every year. It's just such an astounding figure. It's like, how is there any any land left, you know? Yeah. So there are, fortunately, a lot of people in the industry who are like, the writing's on the wall. Like, this is just too good of a, a energy source to stop, but it's having too big of an environmental impact to just keep going forward in this direction. So they're trying to find ways to make it better. Um, one of the inventions that I saw is called Movable HEP, um, hydroelectric power plant. It's movable. Uh, not that you just move it wherever you want, like whenever you want, but the, actual, <laughs> the actual like plant itself can move up or down, basically. Mm-hmm. Casters, that's good. Um, it moves up and down depending on how high or low the river is, which is good because, you know, seasonally river uh, river height, which has a huge impact on the amount of energy it has, um, you know, ebbs and flows, basically. Um, so if you can lower, you know, your uh, your your power plant in the water, Further, when the water's um, low or raise it when it's high, you can also make it easier for fish to go around, above, or under unobstructed, which is a huge, huge bonus, too. Yeah, there's another um, couple of technologies that are very cool. Uh, one called a VLH or ULH, very low head or ultra low head facilities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about the head as being, you know, that volume of water uh, plus the amount of drop. And basically, they just don't need that much of a drop, um, much less of an environmental footprint. Doesn't require some big, large dam or a big concrete span to create that huge drop. Right. The fish can take that drop, which is you know a big deal. Right. Um, and then these low-velocity turbines, I really like this idea. It's basically saying, hey, why don't we just concentrate on, or one of the things we can concentrate on is making our turbines just super efficient, and they don't have to spin at 90 RPMs. Um, they they don't have to spin very fast at all. So you can produce, um, you know, maybe the same amount of electricity without the need for those high-pressure penstocks. Right. So the fish can just swim right through. They're sure. moving that slowly. Um, I, I think from what I saw, the reason why everybody's not just going to the, the – um, 
the low velocity turbines is because it's way cheaper to buy and install and operate um, high speed turbines. But the fact that people are thinking about this stuff and that they're coming up with new designs and and they're proving that these things can work. And we're also simultaneously, you know, publishing studies about the huge environmental impact that, that this green energy has. I think that those two things combined are going to, to kind of, um, uh, pick hydro back up and brush it off and and actually make it green, you know, in the near future. So, so. I hope so. I mean, sometimes you got to – I know it's antithetical to mm-hmm. capitalism and wringing every last penny out of your company, but sometimes you got to bite the bullet a little bit, invest a little bit more in something that's better for the world down the line and yeah. still make gobs of money. Exactly. Nicely put, Chuck. Thank you. Um, you got anything else? I got nothing else. I don't either, man. So that's hydropower. Um, look for another supplement edition of hydropower, probably somewhere down the line. Uh, and in the meantime, until then, it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this a little statistical analysis from a listener. And this is a little frightening to see how long it takes to listen to our catalog. Oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, Happy New Year to each of you, and huge thanks for what you guys do. Uh, To me, as to many other fans, your podcast never fails to bring a good laugh when I'm down, take my mind off studies when I'm feeling stressed, or to pique my interest on a fascinating topic when I'm a little bored. Uh, I listen every day, which means many repeats, and I still never struggle to find an episode to keep me interested. As you may be aware, at the end of the year, uh, Spotify gives a nice wrap-up on individual listening habits. Mm -hmm. Uh, I listened to over 110,000 minutes on Spotify uh, music and podcasts combined. In the year 2020, I listened to over 500 episodes of Stuff You Should Know at an accumulated 24,256 minutes. Wow. Uh, My biggest streak, (laughs) wow, was 29 episodes in one day. Wow. Anthony even says wow. (laughs) Uh, I want to add, I'm not often the type of person to fall asleep listening to you all, but uh, which would account for a lot of playtime. So this is like daytime listening. It sounds like like you'd have to be on speed that day to listen <laughs> to 29 episodes in no, one day. Anthony's not on speed. Uh, you all have helped me through some of the hardest times as well as shared in some of the greatest times, all without even knowing it, especially this year uh, with COVID and a very stressful semester at law school. You truly helped this make, uh, make this year the best it could be. I hope you had a relaxing holiday and a great start to the new year. Ciao, Anthony C. Proano. P.S. I love speed. <laughs> no, he hates speed. He just <laughs> That's loves great. stuff you should know. That's great, Anthony. Um, good luck with law school, too. Um, I actually saw a couple of people who topped his uh, his total minutes. I think somebody tweeted, because um, like you can you can tweet that really easily or post it. Yeah, a lot of people send media. those out. I saw one, and I don't. I'm sorry, I don't know what their name is, but um, they had like 55,000 minutes listened to stuff you should know boy, last oh boy. year. Isn't that nuts, man? So hats off to everybody who listens to us in general. But also, if you listen to us that much, we really appreciate you, and hopefully, um, we never annoy you. Like, hopefully, one day it never just clicks, and you're like, I can never listen to these guys again. <laughs> I've heard too much. You know? Yeah. Totally. So be careful out there, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, everybody. Be careful. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us like Anthony did, we love hearing from our friends. That means you. You can send us uh, an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. 
Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 